A common sense reality check for both the left and the right. This is American Viewpoints with Mike Ferguson. There is a term in economics. It's called unintended consequences. And frankly, that's a term that applies to pretty much everything else, if you think about it. It applies to medicine, applies to healthcare in general. Are people not directly affected by coronavirus being denied medical care because of our reaction to coronavirus. I'm Mike Ferguson. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us here on American Viewpoints. Yep, still producing the program on Skype uh, because of all the coronavirus closings and the studios I normally work out of. Yeah, they're still closed, so that's why the show sounds just a little bit different these days. Joined now by Dr. Jeffrey A. Singer. He is uh, not just a surgeon, also a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Also, you're the founder of the Valley Surgical Clinic's in Arizona. So I know that our uh, big talker listeners and Flagstaff are going to be really interested in what you have to say. Doctor, thanks for the time today. Oh, happy to be here. Now, we have been hearing from the beginning of, I guess, the coverage of the pandemic. We're worried about overwhelming hospitals. That's where the term flattening the curve kept coming from. But at the same time, I'm worrying, I'm hearing about nurses and doctors being laid off because they don't have any patients and those two just don't seem to make sense if you just compare the headlines what's happening how is coronavirus overwhelming some and laying off others well and that's really interesting because as you recall initially we were all told uh, that the main reason we were doing what we were doing was to flatten the curve that this is a brand new virus no humans had been exposed to it before, so there's no immunity. And the big concern was that everybody would get it all at once and swamp the healthcare system, and they wouldn't be able to take care of not only those patients, but any patients. So they asked us to back off and self uh, social distance and, and take all these steps so that the, the goal was just to manage the infection, because we know that until we reach a point where maybe 60% or so of the population has developed immunity from either from vaccination or from getting it, that we can't stop the virus. We just are trying to kind of control it so it comes in a managed way. Uh, well, it turns out that uh, many governors, most state governors, got into the action uh, a few weeks after the private sector was already doing this. And uh, many state governors ordered a ban on all elective surgery. Now, a lot of people, when they hear the word elective surgery, they think this means something that's not necessary, like uh, cosmetic surgery. But in fact, elective surgery simply means a surgery that you can choose when you want to have it, as opposed to having to have it right now as an emergency. And there are plenty of elective surgeries that are really seriously important. So what happened is as as the uh, as the COVID-19 virus hit different areas uh, at different rates and affected different, it had a different impact in different parts of the country based on demographic differences, population def density differences, et cetera, many of the hospitals, turns out they never got that onslaught they were expecting, but because there was this ban on elective surgery, the hospitals were empty. And so the hospitals have actually been laying off or furloughing nurses, doctors, other staff, because they they don't have any use for them. Now, there's some elective procedures that could wait months, uh, but there are others that really you can only wait a matter of weeks. Somebody, for example, may have a tumor that needs to be removed. We don't have to get you in the hospital today to get your tumor removal, we, but we need to get you in the hospital in the next few weeks. Uh, people are getting uh, delays in treatment for things like cancer. Um, they're getting chemotherapy and radiation treatments interrupted because a lot of times these have to be given in a hospital. So th these are elective procedures. If you're 
blind from cataracts uh, and you're an elderly person and you're confined to the house and you can't get your cataract operation because it's elective. There are different kinds of electives and it's, it's all kind of in the eye of the beholder. What concerns me is I've been in practice close to 40 years. This isn't my first pandemic. And, but this is the first time, I think, in history that we've ever had this kind of reaction where we've locked down the, the, the world. And uh, in the beginning, when we were told to social distance, almost all of the, the social distancing was done by voluntarily by the private sector because the, the, the government's proper role is to give us the information we need so we know what we need to do to, to, to make it cause less damage. So companies that had the kind of businesses where people could work remotely, they were telling their people to work remotely. Disneyland was canceling, was closing. Uh, Major League Sports were canceling their seasons, et cetera. Nobody ordered them to do that. They were doing this. And in previous pandemics, I'm very comfortable and used to the idea of flattening the curve. What would happen is the CDC would inform public health officials, let's say in my state, that they're expecting a, an unusually bad flu season and the hospitals may get overwhelmed. Then the hospital administrators would contact the medical staff and ask us, they, they tell us about this and say, could you do, please do us a favor and work with us? We may be swamped. Could you kind of really think twice about what has to be done now, what could be done later because we may get overloaded? And of course we do that. And every once in a while, uh, you may get a phone call from the hospital administrator saying, I see you scheduled this elective procedure. How important is it to be done now? Because we're only down to three beds. And then you say, oh, I didn't realize. No, I, this could wait another week or two. Why don't I postpone it? Let me know when you got more room. And that's the way things would work out. But when you have a blanket one-size-fits-all ban imposed by a governor or any other political leader, number one, the, like, for example, in my state of Arizona, Yuma County, which has the city of Yuma, which is about a three-hour drive from Phoenix, has had zero deaths and only they're just in double digits in cases. But they, they have a, an elective surgery ban there, just as they do in Phoenix, which is where most of the deaths and cases are because it's a major metropolitan area. Um, and in previous pandemics, if certain regions of the state or even the city, things sort of loosened up, then the hospital administrators will let their staff know, okay, we got more room now. But when it's one size fits all, it's all up to the governor. And the governor being a political figure He's he's there's this whole issue of what is seen and what is not seen. So if he lifts the ban and the death rate starts to go up, all of a sudden that's on him. But what's not seen is all the people who don't get their cancer surgeries, who don't get their cardiac catheterizations and get a heart attack and die while waiting for it, who uh, who strangulate their hernias and show up in the emergency room with a strangulated hernia because they couldn't get their scheduled hernia. Th those kind of that's never seen. So. It doesn't matter who the, the political leader is or what party they belong to. These are the dynamics at play. That's why I think the best way to have done this was to have the political leader stay out of this issue. We've, we've, the medical sector has experience over the decades dealing with trying to flatten the curve. And they should, have, they should give us the information we need, keep us up to date, keep us informed. But generally, let us work it out because each medical community, each city, each medical staff, they're all different. And communication on a local level based on local knowledge leads to the best outcome and the most flexibility and responsiveness. We're visiting with Dr. Jeffrey Singer, a senior fellow at the uh, uh, the Cato Institute, also a, a surgeon. And we just have a minute or so left, uh, doctor. When you look at what we're learning right now, what's the maybe elevator pitch for what we should know coming out of coronavirus 
to be better prepared for the next pandemic? The big takeaway is that a whole lot of government regulations have stood in the way of our rapid response. We were way late to the game in getting testing out, and that was largely due to FDA regulations that essentially gave a monopoly to the CDC to get to a monopoly in testing. Now they're, you know, liberalizing their regulations and allowing governors to allow what tests are going to be allowed in their state. That should have been from the get-go. We're seeing how uh, occupational licensing laws have, have interfered with the flow of health care practitioners and other needed people from one state to another because there's licensing laws now. They're being temporarily waived by a lot of states, but it's only temporary. We should learn the lessons from these kind of things. Same thing with drugs. We're getting we're suddenly speeding drugs through the the approval process. That remdesivir went uh, through the approval process in about six weeks. Normally, it takes twelve years. If they could do it in six weeks, when there's an emergency, then we got to be thinking. Well, then why do we have to wait twelve years other times? Is there something wrong with the system? So I think the big takeaway is that our regulatory regime has made the government uh, ossified and 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 uh, basically unable to quickly respond to any sort of crisis because of all of the rules and bureaucracy that stands in the way. Okay, so we can find your writings at uh, the Cato Institute's uh, website. Um, you're on social media as well? Yes, uh, my uh, website is cato.org, and I'm on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at dr4liberty. That's dr4liberty, dr4liberty. All right, Doctor, thank you so much for the time. And uh, want to know what you all think as well. Just go to the American Viewpoints Facebook page or Twitter account, AVP Radio Show. Love to get your thoughts as well. We've got more American Viewpoints coming your way just ahead. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to start foraging wild berries. I was skeptical, but these are actually pretty good. You don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. You just need FeedThePig.org. Don't get left behind. Get tips and tools at FeedThePig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. At age 30, Carissa finished her high school diploma. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, you can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.